What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our new baseball content gets posted, whether it be podcasts, articles, different news and notes, and different updates that we've put into our draft guide, which is completely out there now. All of the articles are now available by the time you guys hear this and by the time, even by the time it's getting posted, uh, everything is available for you guys to go and check out different rankings that I have put up on the site. There are different features regarding players who have switched teams. There's a decision matrix article series looking at how to decide between different players, whether it be on uh, different drafts. Maybe you guys have a draft to do tonight or even maybe tomorrow. Some people even draft a week or two into the season. And then uh, those kind of decisions would also apply to you guys in free agency as well. And those are just a couple of examples of some of the great work that we have over in our draft guide. So please make sure you're checking it out at sportsethos.com. And if you guys are still over on Twitter, and I'd understand if you're not on Twitter as much, it's a hard place to be on sometimes these days. I can understand that. But if you're still going over there, check me out at joeorico 99 and at ethosfantasybb. Got a lot of new followers to my uh, to my page and to Ethos Fantasy BB recently, so I <clears throat> really do appreciate that. Guys, we are just one day away from games being played. Uh, I've been talking about it on Twitter today, how 24 hours from now we'll be looking at our different lineups and our different, uh, you know, if it's head-to-head, looking at your, uh, your stats for the week against your opponent. And there's actually going to be something besides zero sitting there for the first time going back to last October. It's a lot of fun. We are, we've gone through the entire offseason somehow, and the fun is really going to start to begin. I know we've, if you guys have been here for the whole offseason, we've been having fun. I've been having fun uh, just going through different player rankings and player reviews and all different kinds of things. Uh, But we've reached the finish line for the offseason. We're going to start actually going through player breakdowns reviewing games that have taken place, looking at different lineup situations and things like that once we actually have quote-unquote meaningful games. A little nudge there to my friend Casey Bubba, who has been making that same kind of joke. Uh, Of course, the WBC was meaningful games, but now we have games that are actually going to put stats on the board, both in real life and for fantasy. So that's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to be starting tomorrow looking. I'm going to be doing a midday show tomorrow, so it'll be Probably about halfway, about half of the games will be done. We're going to look at some of the games that have already taken place, and we're going to also look ahead to some of the evening games. Um, Some of the games, there's a couple start at 1 o'clock Eastern, a couple at 2. It's pretty spread out throughout the day tomorrow, actually. It's a very good day to just be sitting around watching baseball if you guys have the opportunity. But today, on the last preseason show of the year, we're going to be talking about some of my guys, guys that I've drafted in a lot of leagues, the guys that I have the most shares of, and also a couple of bold predictions. Now, if you guys follow me on Twitter already, you would have seen these. These went out over the last couple of days, uh, but we're going to talk about them today on the show for those of you guys who might have wanted a little bit more of an explanation or some of you who might not be on Twitter and might not have seen it at all. So why don't I start off by talking about my guys, the guys that I have drafted in the most leagues this season. And one of them actually applies to one of my bold predictions as well, so I can kind of kill two birds with one stone there. Edward Cabrera is my most drafted player this season. I've talked about him on the pod here and there. He is somebody that I am pretty invested in, and a lot of it does come down to the price, too. He's usually going in about the 220 to 230 range. And my prediction, my one of my bold predictions, uh, was that Edward Cabrera is going to be this year's version of Dylan Cease. A couple of people have said this. I said this a while back, and it's also been said by a few others. I can't remember exactly who now. But I think he's going to have a 30-plus percent strikeout rate. I think he's going to have a 10-plus percent walk rate and still get you Cy Young votes at the end of the season. I really do think that that is what is going to happen from Edward Cabrera. And it is a bold prediction, so it's not necessarily something that 
I'm 100% like this is going to happen, but it's something that I think is definitely within his range of outcomes. And I've drafted him a lot because I think that he is somebody who is very reasonably priced for this season. You know, you're getting him at the end of your drafts. I know a lot of people are playing in, in deeper leagues, but, for, you know, I've done some polling. I, I did polling today uh, over on Twitter, and I got a couple of retweets from people within the industry, too. I guess a lot of people were interested about, you know, seeing the results of this. I was trying to see what is the preferred platform and setting for everybody. And from what I was able to gauge from these polls, which we're looking at, you know, between, you know, a few hundred or two up to 500 votes, depending on the individual poll, most people are interested in playing Yahoo standard 5x5, 12-team, head-to-head categories with waivers and daily changes. So most of you guys are playing in 12-team leagues. We're talking about 230, you know, 250, 270 players, depending on your specific roster settings. Anywhere from about 200, and, let's call it 230 to 280 players are going to be drafted in your league. Edward Cabrera is somebody you could get pretty close to the end who I think has as much upside as anybody that you're going to be able to find in that range. So he is somebody that I drafted more than anybody else this year. I am in eight leagues, and I drafted Edward Cabrera in five of them. So he is somebody that I have a lot invested in this season. Definitely somebody that I am hoping for the absolute best for. Jeff McNeil is my second most rostered player. I believe I have him in four of my leagues. He is somebody that, again, you're getting him very cheap. You're getting second base and outfield eligibility. And you're getting somebody who literally is going to hit you like 310, 320. He's just coming off a year where he won the batting title, hitting 326. He's giving you, you know, it's it's not a lot of power, but we're talking about, you know, 7 to 10 home runs. He's in a good lineup. He's in a very good lineup. I'm not sure. I'm going to check out roster resource right now, actually, and just see where they have him projected a bat. Last time I checked, it's been moving around quite a bit, so I'm going to make sure I have it the most up-to-date as I possibly can. Uh, But I did remember seeing him projected to be in the middle of that lineup. Uh, And, yeah, he is still projected to be the number five hitter right right behind Starling Marte, Francisco Lindor, and Pete Alonso. There's going to be a lot of RBI opportunities, especially the way that he puts the ball in play. Those guys are going to be on base quite a bit. We're going to see, I don't know how many RBIs we're going to see from McNeil, but he's projected for somewhere in the 60s. I think we could easily see 70-plus RBIs, 70-plus runs. We're talking maybe 10 dingers, 6 steals, 5, 6 steals, maybe. He had 3 in 2021, 4 in 2022, so maybe I'm pushing it a little bit. But 3, 4 steals with a great batting average, he's not hurting you anywhere. Essentially, you're getting somebody who you're able to plug in at two of the most scarce positions in second base and outfield. And he is some, <clears throat> he is somebody who is in a great lineup as well. There's, there's nothing not to like about Jeff McNeil. I've taken him. In a lot of my drafts, I have him in my home league. He is somebody who is just in my utility spot right now, but you can plug him in, like I said, second and outfield. Very valuable player there, Jeff McNeil. So I have a lot invested in him. Next up here is somebody that uh, this one is a little so, uh, sour for me, but it's it's Grayson Rodriguez. I talked about this yesterday. We had Eric Cross on the show, and actually yesterday's podcast was the most downloaded pod we've ever had in the history of the show. It hasn't even been 24 hours since it's been posted, but uh, you guys love Eric, and for good reason. Eric is one of the absolute best in the industry. But we talked at length about Grayson Rodriguez and what we're going to do with him. And essentially, you know, I I love him. I believe in the stuff. We talked about the tweet that Eno Saris sent out. If you guys are on Twitter, I'm sure you saw it. Talking about, you know, he does, uh, he has a stuff plus model. If you guys are unfamiliar, it's essentially looking at the characteristics of a pitch without factoring in the things that the pitcher does not have control of. The defense, the weather, the park factors, the opposing team, and, and yada, yada, yada. It's just looking at how good the actual pitch was. It's similar to... PLV, which Pitcher List has recently just put out as well, uh, just metrics to try and look at just the pitch. 
And he was right up there, Grayson Rodriguez, in the spring with the likes of Sandy Alcantara. He was better than Hunter Green. Like, he was he was incredible. He did not make the opening day roster for the Orioles. He got sent down. But we were talking with Eric yesterday. I'm in agreement with him that it will not be long. Like, a worst-case scenario, I think, for Grayson, we're talking, like, May 1st. And then he'll be up in the bigs. And the point that I made yesterday, and I'll, and I'll make it again here in case you guys did not hear that show, most starting pitchers in the league will miss – a couple of starts throughout the season, right? Maybe not a lot, but three, four, just for, you know, whatever it is, they're pushed back a day or whatever. It's six-man rotation for a while. They want, or they're skipping a start or there's a little tightness here or whatever fatigue. They're going to miss a couple starts. A lot of pitchers are. If Grayson comes up in the middle of, or let's say beginning of May, he's going to miss four, five starts, maybe. We're still talking 27 starts, 26, 27, 28 starts. I don't see that as being a huge loss in the value considering how great a pitcher he is. And I know it's not necessarily going to translate immediately to the major leagues. It's not always the way it works. But the stuff is is definitely there. And beyond just, you know, the stuff plus metrics, you just look at the other the other traditional metrics. He is fantastic. He is he is going to be amazing. He had, he struggled in spring a little bit, but he is going to be fantastic. I, I'm putting my eggs in that basket. I did put my eggs in that basket in Grayson Rodriguez. And I think that he will be up making 27 or so starts, hopefully barring any setbacks uh, in his development, of course. Uh, hopefully he comes up and he does well. There's no injuries or anything like that. I think he can pitch you, you know, a pretty full season. I think we're going to see 120 to 140 some odd innings out of him. And I think that'll be enough for him to be uh, a pretty positive return on the investment where I was drafting him about pick 170, 180. I'm hoping. And of course, this is not ideal. This is not what I wanted at all when I drafted Grayson. I was hoping that he would make the opening day roster. Hell, I thought there was a chance in the back of my head that they might just, you know, make a thing out of it and give him the ball on opening day. Maybe that's too much spotlight. Maybe they weren't ever going to do that. But that was something that I I had tossed around in the back of my head. Maybe I was crazy to think that. And it turns out I was crazy to think that, but I don't think that he will be down in the minors too long. If you did draft Grayson Rodriguez, do not cut him. I am not cutting him wherever I drafted him, specifically if you drafted recently. If you drafted way earlier in the season, maybe, and you used a very late draft pick on him, Maybe you can make the argument there if you really want to. I still wouldn't do it, but especially if you drafted recently and you spent the top one, uh, top 200 or even maybe a top 150, 170 draft pick on him. Like I drafted him as high as about 165. I'm not drafting him. Based on what you spent, based on what he's capable of, I am definitely not dropping Grayson Rodriguez anywhere at this point. There is no league where I would do it. If you're in, okay, if you're in like an eight-team league, maybe. Okay, if you're in one of those really shallow leagues, maybe eight-team. Ten-team and above, I am still holding Grayson Rodriguez. He is my third most rostered player, and he's definitely somebody that I am hoping for the best from, and I think that we are going to see it this season. Spencer Turnbull is my fourth most rostered player. Some of you might be saying, Spencer Turnbull, who the hell is Spencer Turnbull? I can understand the the very casual baseball fan who might just be randomly listening to this might not even know who Spencer Turnbull is. He is a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. He did not pitch at all last season. He has missed quite a bit of time. I believe it was Tommy John surgery. He has been down. I, I, I'm fairly certain it was Tommy John, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But he has not pitched in quite a while because of the injury. I'm just going to make sure 100% that's what it was. Uh, yeah, it was TJ. It was Tommy John surgery for Spencer Turnbull. But he's back now. He is somebody where you didn't have to spend a lot on him at all this season. And I'm just going to take a look at at his final ADP. I drafted him a little bit earlier, even in draft season, before anybody was talking about him. But I'm going to take a look at where he was going in these main events, these high-stake drafts that were going 
over the last couple of weeks. Let's just see. It was not an expensive pick at all. 388. He ended up getting more expensive, but he was still somebody where you were not spending a lot on him. And the last we saw of him in the major leagues, pretty damn good. He has always been pretty damn good, especially, okay, when he first started out, small sample size, he was not the greatest. But everything since, you know, 2019, he pitched a full season. It was a 461 ERA, but he had a 399 FIP. He looked pretty, pretty solid. And then in 2020, 11 starts to a 397 ERA, a 349 FIP. That was very good. And then in his nine starts in 2021 before he went down, not giving you a ton of strikeouts, but he had a 288 ERA, 299 FIP. Again, only a 22% strikeout rate, but only a 6% walk rate. He had a sub one whip in that time as well. I just invested a lot in him because I, I, didn't have to spend a lot, and I think the potential is still very good. I think he might be the best pitcher the Tigers have. And part of this did come, and it was part of the reason I did some of the team previews uh, with Paul Spohr, who is one of the best minds in the industry. I'm sure a lot of people know Paul Spohr. If you don't, he's one of the co-hosts of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast over at Fangraphs. He is definitely somebody that you should be following on Twitter, at Spohr, S-P-O-R-E-R. When we had him on, we were talking Tigers, and Turnbull was somebody that we talked about, and we both agreed he's... You know, a lot of people will say uh, Rodriguez is probably the best pitcher that the Tigers have. I, I honestly think it's probably Turnbull at this point. We'll see what happens, obviously. But after Tommy John surgery, you usually have, I forget what the industry kind of standard is, after Tommy John surgery, 400 or so innings where your arm is good. So we shouldn't really be having to worry so much about any kind of injury coming back. You didn't have to spend a lot on him. I'm going to take a look and see what his roster percentage is here on Yahoo as well. It's, it's can't, it can't be a lot. And I'm, he's not somebody that I'm necessarily like vouching for in Yahoo League. There's only 3%. But he's definitely somebody where you should be. And a lot of Yahoo Leagues, 10, 12-team leagues, where I was taking number 15-team leagues. They were not your 10 and 12-team leagues. In those kind of leagues, he's definitely on the radar as a streamer, especially at home. We have to see how Comerica plays. We're going to have to see exactly how it works, how hitter-friendly it will be here. And we'll figure that out probably over the first couple of weeks. I don't think it'll take us too, too long to see exactly how the new dimensions will play. We can project and we can figure, okay, this many more balls would have left last year and this and that. But we, we need to see it in action to see what it'll actually do. I think there's a chance that he could be a decent home streamer. So he is definitely somebody, Spencer Turnbull is, to be keeping on your radar as like a home streaming option. Not somebody who is a must roster by any means in your standard leagues. Because I know a lot of people, based on the polling and based on what I already knew, are playing in 12-team leagues, and he's not somebody where he's really going to cut it. He's not going to be in the top 270 or 280 or so players like I mentioned earlier, but keep him on the radar. If there's a nice, juicy home matchup, if Oakland's coming into Detroit, or if there's a team of that ilk who is coming in, the Pirates or somebody like that, who, or the Nationals, somebody who's not making a lot of noise, somebody that I would be considering. We're going to see some more interleague games this year. We're going to see some more uh, out-of-division matchups as well. So there's going to be a, a little bit of a change in terms of scheduling, but when there is a bad team that it does come into Detroit, or even hell, if he goes to Oakland at the Coliseum, if he goes to a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, he's somebody to keep in mind. And of course, I'm saying this now, he might start out of the gate and just shit his pants, and then he might not be somebody on our radar at all. But for right now, he is definitely on the watch list for me in your shallower leagues, and he is an ad if you're in a 15-plus team league. He was probably drafted in a 15-team league, but nonetheless, I think that he is worth a speculative ad at this point, at least. I think that there is a potential for him to be pretty, pretty darn good. Nick Lodolo is the next guy. He is my fifth most rostered player this season. This one, I'm taking a bit of a leap of faith here. He's, I'm not, you know, he wasn't somebody that I advocated for a lot going into draft season. I drafted him on three of, three of my eight teams. He wasn't somebody that I was, you know, saying go out and get him for sure. 
Uh, but I found myself getting him where he fell. Like, usually he was going in maybe the 120-ish range, and by the time the NFBC, like, main events came around, I'll take a look here. He probably shot up quite a bit. I'm guessing close to pick 100 or so, 118. Uh, but he went from the range of 98 to 162 over the course of 41 main event drafts. I'd pick 98. I'm not there, but I, that's not where I was paying for him. I was usually getting him like 140, one, like 130 to 150 kind of range is what I, where I was generally getting him in my drafts. Uh, I have him in two 15 teamers, and I also have him in a 12 teamer. That is where I'm generally willing to pay at that price. I think it's fine. That is the price where I think it's acceptable to take on the risk of a guy who is still a young pitcher. He's going to be in Cincinnati where there is always the risk, of course, but he showed us last year that he was really good in Cincinnati. You know, he gave us great strikeout numbers while also maybe walking a few too many batters at 8.8%, but a 29.7% K rate. He gave you a 366 ERA and even the indicators were not bad. 397 X ERA, 390 FIP, 349 XFIP, you know, there was a lot of good there with Nick Lodolo. I think he can take a bit of a step forward. And even if he doesn't, you know, it, it's a swing and a miss. Potentially it is going to be a swing and a miss because of the ballpark. Home runs were maybe a little bit of an issue, 1.13 uh, homers per nine he allowed last season. Nothing crazy, 13 homers over 103 innings. It's, it's a touch on the high side. It could be a lot worse in that ballpark. But he is still somebody that I think there is uh, there is room for growth. And again, uh, he is the riskier, one of the riskier players, probably the riskiest player on this list, considering the draft price he is so far. And just looking at it in total, actually, of my most drafted guys, he is the highest uh, draft pick that I would have had to use. Cabrera was in the 220s, McNeil in the usually like 180, 190, Grayson like 170, Turnbull we're talking like, you know, beyond 400 I was drafting him most of the time, and Lodolo was like 120, 130. Uh, so he is, and even though I haven't mentioned the last guy yet, there's going to be one more, uh, but Lodolo was the highest drafted guy there. Um, and, and I know, like I said, there's risk, but I was willing to take it considering the upside, and I think he's going to be a, a fun pitcher to watch this season. The last one is Masataka Yoshida. He is definitely somebody that I am interested in this season. I drafted him again on three of my eight teams. I put a rookie of the year bet down on Yoshida. This is not a betting show. I am no gambling expert. We'll bring some gambling people on. You know, I'll probably bring uh, Big John Legaza onto the show and a couple of other gambling people from within the industry on to talk uh, some betting. But I put money on Yoshida because I saw him at plus twelve hundred to win rookie of the year. It was he was plus a thousand, and there was a bet boost on Bet Three Six Five a little while back. I forget exactly when it was. Maybe a few weeks back. And I got him at plus 1,200 for Rookie of the Year. It seemed very reasonable. And that was before he was really mashing in spring. And he looks he had a big home run to deep center field. I'm not sure uh, which pitcher it was off of in spring. I, I think it was the last day of spring. And, man, he looks really good. I don't think the Red Sox are going to be great, but I think that they're going to be decent enough where he can you know contribute to that at the top of that order, giving you, you know great numbers all across the board. I, I really do think that... You know, I'm not sure exactly what the games played number projection is going to be because, it, well, I know what it is. It's at like 125. That's a little bit low for me. For I don't know why he would just they would just all assume he's going to miss 40 games. I think he could probably play 130, 140. I don't know why they necessarily have to bake that in, but the projections there are looking at anywhere from like 15 to 20 home runs, 65 to 82 RBIs, a handful of steals. And, you know, some of them haven't projected for above a 300 average. Projection systems are very conservative. They do not usually give people a 300-plus batting average 
Yoshida has, uh, you know, the lowest one, the worst one is 283. The best one is 305. I'm I'm very interested. I was very interested from that. I'm very interested based on, you know, even though the Red Sox, <clears throat> I've kind of poo-pooed them a little bit this year for sure. But I still think that they're going to be not bad, especially considering the fact that, you know, they got Devers back. Even though they lost Bogarts, I think they're going to be okay. And Yoshida, I'm going to take a look again and see exactly where uh, he's projected at bat because these have been moving around quite a bit in uh, during the course of spring training, the different uh, projections here on fan graphs. There's a lot of moving parts here. But right now he's projected at bat fourth. Behind Justin Turner, ahead of Adam Duvall. It's a decent lineup with Verdugo, Devers, Justin Turner, Yoshida, Adam Duvall, uh, Tristan Cassis, Christian Arroyo, Reese McGuire, Kike Hernandez. The bottom three is not great there, but Hernandez is not even that bad. It's mostly just Arroyo and McGuire who are more like the sore spots in that lineup. And even Arroyo is not like terrible. Uh, it, it's not. It's a pretty decent lineup, and I think Yoshida in the middle of that could be looking at a pretty big season, so I drafted him. In two 15-team leagues, and I drafted him in the Fantasy Six-Pack League uh, that Joe Bond from from the Fantasy Six-Pack organized. Um, I drafted him, I think if that's an OBP league, I drafted him pretty high up there. Like in an OBP league, you know, he's somebody who's going to walk quite a bit. His OBP is projected to be 387. Uh, I didn't have to pay up too much for him because I think OBP leagues, people are still kind of skewed. They're looking at the ADP that is generally mostly from average leagues. So I, I think he went a little bit farther than he should have. I think I got him in like around pick 200. And for the most part, I think that's where he was generally going. But that feels really, really too far. Like I have him as a top 25 outfielder for this season. I, I'm very big on him again. Uh, you know, he's 181 was his main event ADP. Maybe I'm a little too high on him. Maybe I'm over-projecting him, considering he's coming over from Japan. We don't know exactly how his game is going to translate. It's not always great. You know, sometimes somebody just mashes over there, and they come over, and they're not as good. For sure, it's a possibility. But I am banking on the whole, on the fact that you know he is a great hitter, and we've seen it so far in spring. He's not you know bowing down to these to these major league pitchers. And even though it's you know a mix of minor league guys, major league guys, it's not all you know aces, Cy Young winners that he's facing. I think it's decent enough competition where we can see, okay, and, and you know, decent enough results where we can say, okay, I'm buying in, and especially, I was buying in before, but especially at this point, I'm buying in, and I'm glad that I have a good few shares of him, especially in an OBP league. So those are my most rostered players. Edward Cabrera, Jeff McNeil, Grayson Rodriguez, Spencer Turnbull, Nick Lodolo, and Masataka Yoshida. Now let me talk about the rest of my bold predictions. I mentioned Edward Cabrera. I think 30-plus K percentage, 10-plus walk percentage. I think he's going to get some down-ballot Cy Young votes. And I think he is this year's version of Dylan Cease. Not that he's necessarily going to be a Cy Young finalist, but I think he'll get some Cy Young votes. Now, let's start at the top, and I'll work my way down here. The first one is Tyler Stevenson hits 300 or above with 20 homers and is the number one catcher in fantasy. I love Tyler Stevenson. I am very much in on him this season. I have. I, you know, he's somebody... I think I have him only in two of my eight leagues, so he's not technically one of my most rostered players, but he's still somebody where I got a couple of shares of, and I am very, very happy that I did. I love Tyler Stevenson. A catcher, you know, and this is part of the reason why I love Alejandro Kirk as well. Any catcher who can hit above 300, most catchers are such a drain on your batting average. You know, even if they're like a Kyle Raleigh, who I really like, he's going to give you like 20-plus home runs probably, but they're going to hit, you know, 220 or so, 230. And a lot of catchers, it's not just the pick on Cal Raleigh, there's a lot of catchers who are not going to be giving you the, the greatest batting average. Most of them are, are not going to give you good batting average when you're talking about when you're talking about the catcher position. When you're talking about two catcher leagues, especially, 
you can really suck out your batting average when you're talking about two catchers who are, you know, even if you look at the top, like Dalton Varsho is going to bat, what, 240 maybe, maybe. Will Smith, 250, 260, he's not terrible. Sal Perez, you know, 250, 260 probably. Rutschman, same thing. Contreras, same thing. They're not horrible at that point if you're paying up for them. Once you start getting down to, like, Melendez and, you know, Sean Murphy and Raleigh and these guys, there's not a lot of great batting average to be had down there. Maybe you can go for, like, a Gabby Moreno. You know, there are some rare cases where you can still find a little bit of batting average, you know, Kybert Ruiz. But for the most part, you're not getting that. With Tyler Stevenson, you didn't really have to pay up until pretty recently in draft season when he started going very high up. But for the most part, his ADP on Yahoo was about 170. I, I don't understand that. Considering what he's able to do, he's already shown us, right? At the major league level, he's batted, and he hasn't had a, a lot of exposure at the major league level. We're talking about 190 games here spread out since 2020. Only eight games in 2020. He played 132 games in 2021, and then only 50 games last year before he was injured. But we're talking about a 296 batting average over the course of 190 games, 605 plate appearances, which is a full season plus if you're talking especially about a catcher. But let's just call that a full season. You know, it, it might be pushing it a little bit, 600-plus plate appearances. You're probably not going to see that. But the projection systems have them generally going for between 500 and 543. That's, you know, I, I might be pushing it a little bit here. But let's, you know, let's take maybe a couple percentage points off of, of the numbers I'm about to say here. Over those 605 plate appearances in his career, 18 home runs, 84 runs scored, 86 RBIs, and a 296 batting average. Almost a 10% walk rate, and he's king less than 22% of the time. He is a great hitter. He is absolutely a great hitter. He's not going to help you steal bases. That's the only place. He is going to hit home runs in that ballpark. You know, I think it will be 20-plus. The projections have him for between 10 and 16, depending on where you look. I think it will be 20-plus. I think that he is going to play you what the most of the projections are calling for, about 130 games. I think with that batting average, with the home run totals, I think that he was. I think he will be the number one catcher in fantasy. I think. Well, no, I shouldn't say I think, but I, that is that is the bold take. And I honestly think I, I could talk myself into even pushing him up higher and higher up the rankings. He is somebody that I'm I'm very high on. And, and don't don't mistake me here. I, I I'm not really expecting that 100. percent But I think if he plays a whole season here, 130 ish games then that's what we would get out of him, and he would be the number one catcher. I still think it's going to be Real Muto and Varsho. I still think those are going to be the, the, the best guys. But Tyler Stevenson is sneaky. If you got Tyler Stevenson shares, you should be very, very happy with yourself. He is somebody that I am very much invested in. Wander Franco is the next bold take that I have here, and, and I, I should you know just rem, you know, I'll periodically say this while I'm doing this. These are bold takes. Even though I'm, you know, gonna plead my case here to say that these are realistic, eh, some of them are probably not that realistic. They're bold takes for a reason. I'm hoping for them. I think they are within the range of outcomes, but I'm not saying, you know, this is necessarily going to happen. With that being said, I still think that some of these are pretty likely, and this one right here, I think, is pretty likely. And this is the one I got the most pushback from on Twitter because, you know, I'm not somebody who gets. Big engagement on my tweets. I'm just not. I have a, I'm a relatively small account. I have 2,800 followers. I don't generally get much pushback. I don't usually get much in the way. I get some comments here and there. Usually not much in the way of you know you know hate or anything like that. I got some hate when I put Sandy Alcantara outside of my top 10 starting pitchers. I got some hate yesterday when I said Wander Franco is going to go for 15, 15, 
and 300. So 15 homers, 15 steals, and hit 300. And next year, he's going as a second-round pick. I had a bunch of people say, what the hell are you talking about? Wander Franco is not going to be... Okay, well, there was a couple of different angles they were coming at me from. One of them was, he's not going to do that. And one of them was, even if he does that, he's not going to be a second-round pick. Wander Franco has not been able to stay healthy at the Major League level, especially last season. He only played 83 games. In 2021, he played 70 games. And I think 2021 was the year that he was first... It was the year that he was first brought up to the bigs. And I think he was relatively healthy, but he was not healthy last season. He plays a whole year, and if he gives you, and maybe the numbers were not even that lofty because a lot of the projections have him for like 13 and 12. Uh, you know, some of them have him for like 15 and 12. I think if he gives you 15 and 15 and bats 300 with the pedigree behind him as a prospect, then people will jump ahead at him next year and take him in the second round. I think that that is, and I'm talking, I meant when I sent the tweet out, and I probably should have specified, I'm talking about 15 teamers, so in the top 30 draft picks. And I really think that given the pedigree, given you know how good that lineup generally is, you're talking about somebody who is probably going to give you, from what I, well, this is what my my take is, and it, it, maybe it's bold, but maybe it's not, looking at the projections, but I think 15 home runs, 90 runs, 80 to 85 RBIs, 15 steals, and a 300-plus batting average, I think that gets him into the second round. I really do. That kind of five-category security, especially if he is able to go out and play 140-some-odd games like the projections are calling for, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not even as bold as, as I could have been, but that's the one I got the most hate over. Uh, maybe I should have said 2020, and maybe people would have been more okay with that one. I think that you know, it's, it's reasonably bold. We've only seen him play at most, which last season, 83 games, so... Projecting a whole season, projecting you know a 300 batting average is always kind of tough. He's a 282 hitter for the career. Uh, you know he's looked very good in his stretches at the big league level. Of course, we're talking 153 games. He's given you in that time, which is you know that's a whole season. 13 homers, 99 runs, 72 ribbies, 10 stolen bases, and he's batted 282. That's pretty damn good. You know that that is pretty pretty damn good. I don't know that necessarily. We're going to see 99 runs. I think it might be close to that. But I think that Wander Franco is still somebody where people are going to see, if they if they see any kind of you know full season, big kind of gains from him in terms of, not, not even necessarily gains because the per game numbers have kind of been there. But if he does it on a volume basis, gives you 15 and 15 or 17 and 16 or whatever it is, I think people will jump at him next year at the hope that he will get even better. Because you got to remember, Wander Franco literally just turned 22 years old. I think people will jump at him in the hope that he will get even better the next year. So that is definitely something that I would be uh, on the lookout for as a big Wander Franco year. Next up, I've talked about this one. Camilo Doval does not get to 20 saves and ends up as the biggest closer bust of the year. He's consistently going as a top 100 draft pick. You know, pitchers in general were getting pushed up quite a bit in the NFBC drafts in the main event. And let me take a look at where he was going, just so I have the most accurate number. 81 was his ADP. 57 was the minimum. 103 was the max. You know, he's somebody that I avoided because of the fact that they brought in Taylor Rogers. They said, you know, not directly, but they pretty much said they didn't fully trust him there. He does have some control issues. I don't know if they're going to fully use him in the ninth inning every single time. I think they're going to go more matchup-based. Taylor Rogers being left-handed and Duvall being right-handed. I think they're going to go more matchup-based there in the ninth inning. I think that it will be, you know, let's say there's three lefties or two lefties coming up in the bottom of the ninth. They're not just going to go to Duvall. I think they're going to go to Rogers. He has exposure. He has he has past uh, experience as a closer, as a closer, as a closer, I should say. 
and I think that he is the guy that they would turn to in certain situations. I don't know that Doval is going to be that safe. I think he'll give you, you know, he'll give you good strikeouts. He'll probably have still about twenty some odd saves. But I think that he was being vastly overdrafted this year. I did not have one share of him. I didn't want anything to do with him, and it was because the Giants were telling us with their actions what they thought of him. So he is not somebody that I wanted to draft, and he is not somebody that I ended up drafting anywhere. He's somebody if you drafted him, I hope you have some. I hope you have some backup because this is this is kind of a bold take, but it's something that I think is the most likely of, of all of these that I am saying here. Next up, we have Alex Cobb finishing as a top twenty-five starting pitcher. Yes, yes, I know. If you guys have listened to the podcast, if you followed me on Twitter, you know that I am one of the bigger Alex Cobb fans who is out there. He's gotten screwed by his defense the last couple of seasons. He really has, and it even happened in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, he had a 376 ERA in 2021 with the Angels, and he had a 292 FIP. He had a 395 X ERA, 338 X FIP. Everything was in line with, you know, this should have been at least a little bit of a better season. FIP is my favorite of all the advanced metrics. That was almost a full run lower than his actual ERA. This past season in San Francisco, 28 starts, 373 ERA. It was a lot higher for a good portion of the season. And, you know, you know people, if you're playing a lot of fantasy last year, you definitely remember if you had Alex Cobb on your team, the roller coaster that it was, and picking him up and dropping him all the time and hoping for, you know, praying that it would be good defense behind him on any given night. He ended up with a 373 ERA, pretty damn good. His XERA was 315. His FIP was 2.80, and his XFIP was 2.89. All those indicators within a half a run to a run lower than his actual ERA. That's a very good sign. We've seen his strikeouts go up over the last couple of seasons. It was a 25% in 2021. He got it still you know, in the same range at 24% in 2022. I would like to see it go up even a little bit more. But we're talking about somebody who's still, with these last couple of seasons factored in for his career, has a 20, or excuse me, a sub 20% strikeout rate, 19.9%. You're looking at previous seasons where he's 15, 17, 15, you know, really poor strikeout rates. That's definitely something that he has improved upon these last couple of years. And the walk rate was very good as well at 6.8. It was his highest K minus walk percentage last season. The defense is the big thing behind him. We need to hope for better defense. And, you know, based on what they did the offseason, I don't know that it's going to be much different at all. But I'm hoping for the absolute best from Alex Cobb. This is the best case scenario outcome for him as a top 25 back end, top 25 starting pitcher. And I do think that that is possible. He just gets lucky with some wins, which everybody kind of does. He didn't get that last season. He only had seven wins in his 28 starts, hoping for a little bit more luck there. And I think by the end of the day, it is a distinct possibility that we could see Alex Cobb finishing as at least like a top 30 starting pitcher. But top 25 would be the upside. That is the bold take that I have for Alex Cobb. He's somebody that I've been, I've always liked Alex Cobb. You know, he wasn't always the greatest pitcher, but he was always fairly dependable. There was a kind of a bad run there from like 2016 and 2019 was kind of bad too. And only, you know, he was injured and it was only a couple starts. And, you know, for the most part, it's, it's mostly just been those short stretches when he has been hurt where he hasn't been good. When he's pitching full seasons, generally he has been very, very good for you. It's been. I can't even remember what the injuries were at this point, 2016 and 2019. Now it's everything's a blur from that from that point on. Um, but I'm, <clears throat> something with his arm, I can't remember now exactly what it was. But he seems healthy. 150 innings last year. Again, this is this is absolute best case scenario, but it's something that I'm definitely hoping for. Next up is Chris Bryant. I think that the best case scenario here is he goes for 30 home runs, 10 stolen bases, hits 300, and he finishes as a top 50 fantasy player. Chris Bryant. Kind of got screwed last year. He wasn't he wasn't healthy. You know, he only he missed like a hundred games. He missed 120 
20 games last season. He only had five home runs, didn't hit any at Coors, and, you know, people are poo-pooing him for that, and understandably so, I guess. You know, you're at Coors Field, people are expecting more home runs, and he didn't hit any there. Still, he batted 306. He wasn't healthy. He's going to have a full season at Coors now, and Chris Bryant is somebody who came up very young. It feels like he's been around forever, but he's only 31 years old. He's still in the prime of his career. Maybe you're going to argue at the later part of it or maybe even slightly past it, but I think 31, you're still in your prime as a power hitter. His last full season in 2021, we're looking at 25 dingers, 10 stolen bases, and a 265 average. I think when you factor in Coors Field, I think you get a little bit more power and you get a little bit more batting average out of him there. The projections are calling for about 20 homers, 80 runs, somewhere in that range, 60 to 70 RBIs, and between five and seven steals. You know, he is somebody who has shown uh, double-digit stolen bases twice now in his career, 2015 and 2021. I think we can see that again with the stolen bases. Uh, probably going to be pretty increased this season. I think that he's somebody who could benefit from that as somebody who's like a pretty quick guy. He's not like a crazy fast guy, but I think he'll pick his spots and I think he'll get the 10. I think 30 uh, home runs might be pushing it a touch. Maybe 20 to 25 is more likely, but I think the best case for him, like I said, 30 homers, 10 steals, a 300 average, and a top 50 player uh, for Chris Bryant. I think that is the upside. That is the bold take there. Next up, Anthony Rendon stays healthy and he hits 30 homers with 100 RBIs. His lineup is ridiculous. You know, he's going to be batting probably clean up in that lineup, maybe fifth. I'm going to take a look at what the most recent version of it is, of course, with players making teams. And, you know, Logan O'Hoppy made the team. I'm going to take a look there and see if they have anything changed up. But I think he probably will be batting there right behind Trout and right behind Otani. That's crazy. That's what they currently still have it. They have not changed it. It's Taylor Ward leading off, Trout second, Otani third, and Anthony Rendon fourth. If he stays healthy in that lineup, you know, I think we, you know, Anthony Rendon was a ridiculously good player in Washington. He hasn't been healthy in Los Angeles at all. We're talking, you know, in the 2020 season, okay, 52 out of 60 games. It was a short year. He was good. He had nine home runs. He batted 286. These last two seasons, 58 games and 47 games. You can't fault him for not being healthy. This year, if he is healthy, this one honestly isn't even that bold. I think he gets back to 30 home runs, which he's done before. He had 34 homers, granted in 2019. But we've also seen him hit 21, 20, 25, and 24. He's not the youngest guy in the world, but he's only 32. He's going to be 33 midseason. You know, he's not he's not far removed from what you might call like the, the prime era, which you might say is like 27 to 31, 32. Maybe you could even still argue he's in it at the back end of it at least. I think we could see him get you know a good solid home run total, and I think the RBIs are going to be ridiculous. We've seen him drive in 192, 126. That was over a three-year span. Like, he was crushing in a good lineup in Washington. He's in the middle of a good lineup here again. He didn't cost much this season. I think that he is somebody who could be a huge value for you if you drafted Anthony Rendon. I, I don't know that this is going to happen necessarily. We have to see if he can stay healthy. You know, I tweeted this out a while back. And, you know, again, I don't get a lot of interaction, but some people are saying there's no chance that Rendon is going to stay healthy. And, you know, you're pr probably correct. At the same time, if he stays healthy... That, that is what I'm saying. That's the caveat of this prediction. So that is where I'm at. I think that he was a great value all draft season. You were paying you know, outside of the top 200 a lot of the time for him. And again, risky, maybe a little bit, but at that point you're dropping so many players anyway that even if he does get hurt, it's not going to kill you. He's not somebody that you had to pay up for like you did last season and the year before because people are kind of moved off of him. But I'm still, I'm still on the Anthony Rendon train at this point in time. 
couple more for you guys. Rowdy Telez hits 50 home runs. Rowdy has shown the power. It would kill me if he does this, by the way. Like, it would absolutely murder me as a Jays fan if we traded him away for Trevor Rogers. Or not for Trevor Rogers, excuse me, Trevor Richards. Uh, and he goes out and does this. But we saw last season over 153 games what he's capable of. 35 home runs. He's got that 242 ISO. 461 slugging. Like, he, he's, he's a beast. You know, I, I don't think that we're going to see a great batting average. I think that he is a pr- okay fantasy asset. This is more like a real-life prediction than fantasy. But I think there's just so much raw power in that bat. He has a good eye. You know, he's a good solid walk rate, 8.3% for his career, but 10.4% last season. That's very, very solid. I think he's going to take his spots. He's going to sell out for power. And I think that that is something that is a, probably a goal of his. All the projections, which are generally pretty conservative, have him going for anywhere from 27 to 32 home runs. I think he can definitely hit at least 40, and I think 50 is the upside for Rowdy Tellez. But it would, it would absolutely slay me if he is able to do it. But that's, I think that that is a possibility uh, for Rowdy. And you know, maybe it doesn't happen this year, but I think at some point in his career he hits 50 bombs. He hits 50 ding-dongs at some point. Next one up, Julio Urias finishes outside the top 30 starting pitchers. Not something that's going to surprise you guys if you have heard the pod, if you have seen me on Twitter. I, he is somebody that I'm very, very much down on for this season. I uh, went Dan Bespris, who you guys probably know if you're over on Fantasy Basketball Twitter. Uh, he is my boss. He is the assistant uh, GM here at Sports Ethos. He was making a graphic for our MLB draft guide, and he put Urias on it. And I said, Dan, why did you have to put Urias on it? I, I, it's one of the guys I'm most down on. And, well, he's a Dodger guy. He's a bit of a Dodger homer. So it's like, okay, whatever. You can have Urias. Maybe he'll be right. Who knows? But I am I'm very much out on him. We've talked about this at length. You know, I, did, I had a show we did a while back with Matthew Davis, uh, Matty Wood from uh, FTN Fantasy. And we were talking about this, and we were in a bit of a disagreement. And he ended up persuading me a little bit more towards the side that Julio can still be good. But I think when you look at the fact that he's consistently outperforming his advanced metrics, you know, his career XFIP is 4, the career FIP is 344. You know, you look at the ERA is 282, but it's not necessarily telling you the whole story. Last season, 216 ERA, all the metrics, like the FIP was 371, the XFIP 381. Like, that's quite considerably higher we're talking about somebody who does not strike out a lot of batters. It went from 26 down to 24%. And you'll argue, okay, it's, it's all right, but it's it's pretty average. You know, it's not nothing to write home about. It's not like a, a draw in Julio Urias. There's nothing to fall back on. If he goes three innings in the start, he might end up with two strikeouts. You know, whereas a lot of pitchers, you know, Hunter Green, for example. If Hunter Green gets shit on in a start and he only goes two, three innings, you're probably still getting five, six strikeouts out of him. You know, even though there is a, a risk with Hunter Green, and he was not somebody that I was in on, just the, kind of the first strikeout heavy guy that came to mind, there is not that kind of fallback with Urias. If anything to fall back on, it's maybe the wins, and maybe he'll get there just based on if he gets there from volume with the wins because he has thrown 185, 175 innings these last couple of seasons. Maybe that gets him there. But the wins, you know, that's a, such an overrated fantasy stat. It sucks. A lot of leagues should kind of move away from it. It's just the standard. It's the easiest. You know, I'm in a league, like I mentioned earlier, that fantasy six-pack league, and there's like, it's called QA3, but instead of wins, it's quality appearance, something like that. And I think you have to, the pitcher has to go more than five innings. So at least I think five and a third and his ERA has to be less than four or less than four and a half, something like that. I'm not, I don't know. I've never played in that kind of league. We'll see how it is. I think you got to go to some kind of quality appearance or something. I know John Legaza, who I mentioned earlier, he is somebody who kind of, he, he's done this presentation once or twice at PitchCon 
Uh, you can find the videos on Pictureless YouTube, John Legaza. Uh, he did a video, I forget exactly what he called it, but a different metric as well. Something similar to that where, you, you know, there's a certain innings threshold and a certain ERA threshold that, uh, you know, qualifies the stat, whether it's, you know, five plus innings in a sub four ERA or whatever it is. John has a particular version. He goes through it in a lot of depth in that video. I would, de- I would definitely be looking it up. I haven't seen it in a while. But I and I don't, wouldn't be informed enough on the topic to really speak on it like John would. But I'm sure if you reach out to him, I, I, John Legaza, he's a writer for the Athletic, and he did a great video uh, over at PitchCon a couple times actually. So definitely go check that out. Uh, but in terms of Urias, the wins are just overvaluing him so much. People look at the 37 wins over the last two years, which I'm not looking at the data, but I've looked at a lot. I think he has eight more wins than anybody over the last couple of years. You know, partnered with good ERAs on a good team, people are jumping at that as like a top 50 pick a lot of the time. I just think that's really risky. There's a lot of safer options in a year where there was pitching. You know, people were, people were talking about how there was not pitching late and it was bullshit. It was pushed up. It was pushed up in the higher stakes leagues. Like Urias was going ADP of 55 with a min of 42 and a max of 70. In your average league, pitching wasn't pushed up to the point where you couldn't still go out and get guys. I took Christian Javier in my home league at pick 70. You know, he was going in the 40s when we're talking about main events. You know, sometimes even higher there's different value in different leagues. And I think a lot of times on Twitter, you'll see, oh, this is happening, that's happening. Everything is so specific to your league. If you're just in a home league, and let's say there's 12 people, you're the only one on Twitter, the 11 other guys in the league are not on Twitter, then someone, whatever anybody says on Twitter about this is happening, that is happening in leagues is complete bullshit to whatever is going on in your specific league. Pitching is getting pushed up all over the place. Well, if none of my friends follow baseball, if none of my friends are are following fantasy baseball Twitter, I should say, then why would they think to push up pitching like everybody else is doing? Because you see draft boards getting pushed up. It's like, holy shit, DeGrom went in the first, Strider went in the first, Alcantara went in the first round, Cole went fourth overall or whatever. It's like people who aren't on Twitter aren't seeing that. They're not pushing these guys up. That's why, because a lot of the guys in my league, there's one or two of them who are on fantasy baseball Twitter. But that's why I was able to get Christian Javier 7th overall or 70th overall as my SP2 because I took DeGrom and then I took a bunch of crazy bats and then I went and got uh, Christian Javier. That's all to say there was no need to take a guy like Julio Urias this season because there was so much more value farther down the board, especially when you look at all the risk that's associated with a guy like Urias. I don't think the Dodgers are going to be as good of a team either. That's just another factor. You know, you factor that in, the lack of strikeouts, the fact that he's overperforming, the fact that the wins are really driving up the value in the player Raiders these last couple of seasons. And it's such a non-sticky stat. You can't look at wins and say they're going to carry over year in and year out. The projections are kind of lying to us with that expectation for Urias. Some of them have them for 17 wins. You know, it's a Zips depth chart projections has them for 17. That's not going to happen. Even all the other ones, 12, 13, 14, maybe 12, 13. But to expect 15, 17, it's not going to happen. It's it's really not going to happen. And Julio Urias, I think, is going to be the biggest, one of the biggest busts of starting pitchers uh, this season. Four starting pitchers, I should say, this season. But we got one more. This is one of my favorite players here. Jay Cronenworth finishes as a top 80 player. I think he's going to go for 20 homers. I think he's going to go for 10 steals, and I think he's going to have a 180-run-plus RBI total combined. So I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 runs, 90 RBIs for Jake Rake Cronenworth. This lineup is absolutely stupid. You know, we've talked about this ad ad nauseum at this point on the show. 
the Padres, you know, even before they had made the move to go out and get Bogarts, I was saying that they were a World Series contender next season. This was back in the playoffs. I would, they were one of my favorite teams, uh, looking ahead anyway, thinking of getting Tatis back <clears throat> and the thought that they're you know going to improve naturally, getting a little bit older. Somebody like Tatis, even Cronenworth, fairly young guy, relatively young team. Juan Soto, only 24 years old still. You know, Kim and Grissom and the rest of it. And then they went out and got Bogarts. You know, this team is just stupid. Tatis is not even going to be starting the year in the lineup. And still we got Bogarts, one, Soto, two, Machado, three, Cronenworth projected to be four. Let's say when Tatis comes back, we get Cronenworth moved down the spot to five. I might be undershooting it at 90 RBIs. You might see 100 RBIs out of Jake Cronenworth. And you guys might think that I'm, I'm freaking mad here. Jake Cronenworth, 100 RBIs or anywhere in that neighborhood. He had 88 last season. He played a full season, 158 games. He's done that two years in a row, 71 ribbies and 88 ribbies, these last two years respectively. He's going to be in that lineup. He is somebody who can play all over the place. He can play first, second, third, short. He, he can play. I think he can play a bit of third. I think he might even be able to touch the outfield here and there if they really needed it. He can go all over the place. He's going to be in that lineup consistently, assuming he's healthy. He's going to hit those home runs. He's going to get those runs and RBIs in that lineup. He's going to be a, a, a slugfest in that lineup. It's going to be like playing a video game where you you turn off uh, the you know opposing GM, say no to trades or whatever, and you can just trade whoever you want and get this for that and whatever, and you have like an all-star team lineup. I used to do that as a kid, playing GM mode, dynasty mode, or whatever it was, and NHL games and MLB and NBA and all, all of them. I played all the different sports games. And you do that from time to time, and you just get this super team, you know, where you got Peyton Manning throwing passes to Calvin Johnson, or you got, you know, Sidney Crosby passing the puck to Alex Ovechkin, or what, whatever it was. That's pretty much what the Padres have done here. Cronenworth right in the middle there is going to be a huge beneficiary for fantasy purposes this season. You're getting him at a position where, you know, this is not part of the what I'm saying for the take, but second base, which is a, a, just a shit show, you're getting him. And his eligibility does change a little bit depending on where you're looking at. But even on Yahoo, first, second, and short eligibility, that's pretty sweet, man. That's pretty sweet, especially daily changes leagues, guys sitting, whatever. You can plug him in there every single day pretty much because that's what he's done, assuming that he is healthy. He is going to be out there. I think 20 home runs. I think, you know, am I overshooting it potentially uh, a little bit in terms of the steals? Maybe I'm maybe I'm pushing my luck a little bit with ten steals. He's been like a three four three guy over his first three years in the league. Granted, the first year was a short season, and what we've seen though, he's not like a huge steal guy. But you know, the bases are getting bigger. Can't pick off as much. He's somebody I think in the middle of that lineup might take his chances here and there if there's nobody on base ahead of him. Maybe I'm pushing it with ten. It is a bold take. The projections have him for anywhere from four to six. But that's why it's a bold take. I think Jake Cronenworth is going to be, at worst, the top 80 player this season. He's somebody I have a couple shares of. Have him in my home league. Currently just sitting on my bench right now because one of my home leagues is a 10-teamer. That's where I have him. And there's nowhere I can really plug him in at the moment. It was, you know, very you know, shallow league, 10-team league. So there's just a lot of, lot of depth. But I'm pretty sure by the time the first couple weeks roll around, I'll figure out a way to get him into that lineup somehow, whether it's plugging him in at second for Brandon Lau or getting him in the utility spot for maybe Jeff McNeil, who I also have on that team, or something. We'll figure it out. Uh, but I think he'll play his way into my starting lineup, and he's somebody where there should be a lot of interest uh, in Jake Cronenworth. I think maybe it's a bit of a bold take, uh, but at the end of the day, I, I definitely believe in the upside there. So, guys, 
those are my guys. Those are my takes, my bold takes for the season. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've enjoyed all the off-season content. It's been an absolute blast as much as it was kind of frustrating at times not having games, but we got through it. I really hope you guys have subscribed and aren't just passing by. Hit that plus button or the heart button or the follow button or whatever it is on your respective site. I'd really appreciate a review if you guys could leave one before you head out, whether it be on Apple or Google or Spotify, wherever you are that allows ratings and reviews. I'd really appreciate you letting me know what you think of the show. And of course, go check us out on Twitter at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. At E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB for all our different updates for articles, podcasts, news and notes, and everything else. And check us out on the website at sportsethos.com if you're trying to stay away from Twitter these days. Go hover over the MLB tab and you get all that same content without having to go through a feed. But guys, we will be back again tomorrow for opening day. We're going to be coming to you midday. There'll be some games to review, which will be a freaking blast because we'll finally have some stats on the sheet. I tweeted it out today. You know, We're finally going to be looking at our, our pages, wherever it is, Yahoo, NFBC, ESPN, wherever, and there's going to be stats on the board that will count for the whole season. So... I'm very excited. It's been a long buildup. I got a lot of teams, a lot of lineups to set, but it should be a hell of a ride. We're going to also talk about some of the games happening later in the day, and we'll do a couple other things as well. But guys, until tomorrow, take care, have a great night, and we will see you then. Cheers, guys. Take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.